Okay, so today the Bible reading will be from 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 35 to 58. And if you have the plain covered Bible, that's on page 815. And if you have the fancier covered Bible, that's 1,156. But someone may ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish! What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined, and to each kind of seed he gives its own body. All flesh is not the same. Men have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds another, and fish another. There are also heavenly bodies, and there are earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly body is one kind, and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, and the stars another. The star and star differs from star in splendor. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable, it is raised imperishable, it is sown in dishonour, it is raised in glory, it is sown in weakness, it is raised in power, it is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man Adam became a living being, the last Adam a life-giving spirit. The spiritual did not come first but the natural, and after that, the spiritual. The first man was of the dust of the earth. The second man was from heaven. As was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the man from heaven, so also, and so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the likeness of the earthly man, so shall we bear the likeness of the man from heaven. I declare to you, brothers, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death, hath, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. Would you join with me in prayer? Uh, gracious Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. And we pray now that uh, by your spirit that you would help us to focus on what you were saying to us and that uh, we would uh, be given understanding, and that therefore our lives would be changed. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
the way that we think about our bodies tends to change according to the stage of life um, that we're in. Uh, when you're young, uh, you enjoy all the things that your body can do. Uh, when you're my age, you discover all the things your body can no longer do. And uh, when later on in life, you're just grateful for the things that your body can still do. Uh, and I think that um, uh, there are some medical scientists and researchers who uh, consider ageing to be a disease which um, can be cured. And so they seek to develop anti-ageing molecules that uh, you can <coughs> put into your body through tablets and so on. Uh, they reckon they've had some degree of success with rats uh, on that. Although my doctor reckons that a handful of walnuts every day should do the trick. However, nothing can stop the inevitable, and that is death. And then there's the question of what happens next. What happens after death? And that's a good question. Um, in um, Last Sunday in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 we saw that death is not the end of our existence, that there is life after death, but uh, not in the way that I think many people assume or many people think about life after death. Because uh, rather than life after death being our spirits just sort of floating around in heaven, uh, what we saw in the first part of 1 Corinthians 15 is that God's plan uh, involves our bodies. Uh, God's plan involves the resurrection of our bodies. And have you ever wondered what you'll be like in heaven? Ever wondered um, what age you'll be? Uh, ever wondered um, what you'll look like? Um, someone told me after the service that they read a book by a person who claimed to have gone to heaven for uh, 90 minutes and came back and said he saw all of his relatives there and they all looked the same age as the... I don't know that we can say that, can we? That seems a bit sus to me. Um, Paul knew that some of the Corinthian Christians had questions. Uh, in verse 35, if you care to open that up in your Bibles, in 1 Corinthians 15, he says, But someone may ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? And I read that and I think to myself, well, that's a great question. I'm glad that someone might ask that. That's the kind of question I'd like to ask Paul as well. And then he goes on and says, how foolish. And I think, I'm glad I wasn't around at the time. <laughs> I didn't ask that question. But what does he mean by that? What does, it, what does he say, how foolish? Friends, in the Bible, who is the foolish person? Well, in Psalm 14, the fool says in his heart that there is no God. In the Bible, the, the person who's the fool is the person who uh, doesn't believe that God exists um, or the person who does believe that God exists but chooses not to trust God and not to obey God and not to honour God. That's foolish, isn't it? The fool says in his heart that there is no God and surprisingly, perhaps in verse 34, uh, Paul um, had stated that there were some in the Corinthian church who were ignorant about God. Now, they didn't think that they were ignorant about God. In fact, they thought quite the opposite about themselves. Uh, there were those in the Corinthian church who kind of um, prided themselves on being, uh, you know, a little bit um, uh, above the cut in terms of their spirituality. Uh, there were some who uh, 
believed that they had actually already achieved their um, spiritual fulfilment, that they had achieved their heavenly existence um, because they considered that to be a matter of spirit only and not a matter of, of their bodies, not a matter of physical things. Um, they didn't think too much about the human body because they had this wrong view of um, bodies being and material things being, um, being bad and spirit things being good. And, and that led them to um, <coughs> considering that in terms of our physical existence that there is nothing after death. And it's affected their morals as well <coughs> because if the body doesn't matter, then who cares what you do with it? Might as well eat and drink and be merry um, for tomorrow we die. And so that's the background to the issue um, that Paul's addressing in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. How does he address it? <clears throat> well, first of all, he wants to point the Corinthians to the uh, reality that there are other types of bodies um, which God has created. And he wants to point them to the idea of transformation um, taking place. So if you have a look at verse 36, where after calling them foolish, he says, What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined, and to each kind of seed he gives its own body. So what's he saying? That? What does Paul get into agriculture? Well, he's talking about transformation. Um, See, so think about plants. Um, a head of wheat must die in the sense that it drops off and the seed falls uh, into the ground. Um, farmers plant seeds, don't they? Why does a farmer plant a seed? Well, he plants a seed so that it will grow into a plant. This is not rocket science. But think about it. Uh, when, it, when, a plant, when a farmer plants a tiny seed, he's not expecting it to grow into a big, humongous seed. <laughs> That's not what he's expecting. He's expecting it to be transformed uh, into a different body altogether. That the tiny seed will be transformed into a plant. In fact, if you pull up the plant by its roots, you won't find the seed there. The seed doesn't exist anymore. It's transformed into another body. And you might think, well, this is an obvious point, but the question is, why does it happen? It happens because God causes it to happen. And guess what? If God can do that for a seed, uh, then he can certainly do it for you. That's the point Paul's making. Secondly, take a look at verse 39. For he goes on to say, All flesh is not the same. Men have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds another, and fish another. There are also heavenly bodies, as in terms of the, you know, the, the skies, the stars, the moon, etc. But the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind, and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. 
The sun has one kind of splendour, the moon has got another and the stars have got another and stars different from one another in splendour. That is, God is in the business of creating different types of bodies. Bodies which are appropriate for their situation. Which means that in the resurrection, God gives us an appropriate body for eternal life. So, what will this body be like? Well, <clears throat> what was Jesus' body like after his resurrection? Um, he wasn't a ghost floating around, was he? Um, he had a real physical body. That's the point that Paul's making in the first half of 1 Corinthians. A real, physical, actual, resurrected body. Um, in uh, Luke chapter 24, um, when Jesus met up with the disciples some of the disciples thought that he must have been a ghost because they weren't expecting resurrection they should have been expecting resurrection but they weren't and we can we would be the same if we were in their situation and so Jesus said to them look at my hands and feet touch me and see a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have now, Jesus' resurrected body had wounds in the hands and his hands and his feet, which uh, show, which evidence the, the sacrifice that he had made. But crucifixion had damaged his body, damaged his heart and his lungs, and his body uh, would have begun to decay in the, in the tomb. And yet, his resurrected body was not like that. He walked long distances. He spoke with people. He ate bread and he ate fish. Um, in John chapter 20, the disciples were in a room and the door was locked and then Jesus just suddenly appeared among them as if his resurrection body was not restricted by locked doors. This is important for us because uh, in verses 44 through to 49, there is a contrast between the first man, Adam, and, wh and what's described as the second Adam. That is Jesus. Have a look at verse 44, the second part of it. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, a life-giving spirit. We actually receive life through Jesus. The spiritual did not come first, but the natural... And after that, the spiritual. So there is an order there. The natural body followed by the spiritual body. The first man was of the dust of the earth. The second man of heaven. Um, I don't think it's talking about his origin there. I think it's talking about his resurrection. Um, and as was the earthly man, so are those who are of the earth. And as is the man from heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. And just as we have borne the likeness of the earthly man, so shall we bear the likeness of the man from heaven. Wow, there's a lot in that, isn't there? I can unpack it a little bit. Um, Adam is of the dust of the earth. Um, he's described as um, having a natural body, that body uh, which has been impacted by sin. Um, not that the body itself is sin, but because of sin, 
um, sickness and disease and death comes into the world and that's the body which we all inherit. That body that gets sick and fails and dies. But Jesus is described as being um, of heaven. Um, and as I say, I don't think that's so much about his incarnation, although that's true, but it's a description of his resurrection um, existence because the contrast uh, in the passage is between the natural body and the resurrected body. Now, if you are a person who has trusted in Jesus and accepted him, uh, his offer of forgiveness, then you are someone who is in Christ. You are in union with Christ. Uh, which means that although your present body uh, will return to the dust, God will give you a resurrection body. Um, you'll be transformed uh, to be in the likeness of the Lord Jesus. Some years back, there was, um, there was a small bunch of elderly people in our congregation who were really, really godly people. Um, they've all gone to be with the Lord now. Um, in fact, reflecting on our congregational life over the last 21 years, um, there's hardly anyone who was here when we arrived. There's a few people, a handful of people who were in the church when we arrived who are still with us. All the rest have gone to be with the Lord. But um, there was this bunch of really godly elderly people. And uh, I discovered that they were all passing around this book for one another to read. It was a book called Better by Far by a Christian author by the name of J.O. Um, J. Sanders, I think. Uh, a good, good book, good author. So I, I got wind of this and I asked them, so why are you all reading this book? I love their answer because they said to me, Scott, we're all getting pretty close. <laughs> And, uh, and, and we're, we're learning about our future and we're looking forward to it. And uh, I've conducted funeral services for all of them. Um, they're all with the Lord. And it's what Paul does here in verse 42 where he contrasts what our bodies are now with what they will be then. And he does the contrast in, in rapid fire. Um, he says that the body that is sown perishable is raised imperishable. Um, it is sown in dishonour uh, in terms of our sin. It is raised in glory. Uh, it is sown in weakness, frailty and so on, but it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. But it's a body, folks. It's a body. Um, our present bodies are not sinful in themselves, um, but because of Adam's sin, they are mortal. They belong to our fallen world. So in verse 51, how can they be a part of eternity? Now, um, we, all, uh, <clears throat> we do all sorts of things to get our bodies into good shape, don't we? Or supposedly we're supposed to do that um, we try not to eat too much of the stuff that um, clogs up our arteries or just puts on the weight um, we sweat it out at the gym um, to lose those extra kilos and to slow down the deterioration of our muscles we do all sorts of things to try to keep our bodies 
uh, in reasonable shape. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, uh, the Apostle Paul says, For physical training is of some value. So it's biblical justification for exercise. <clears throat> but I like the emphasis on the word some value. It's my excuse. Uh, but he goes on to say that godliness, ra rather, godliness has value for all things. So train yourself in godliness. Um, I've noticed that some of the fittest people are also the people who are most discontent with their bodies. Have you noticed that? They're the ones always trying to improve, always trying to get better. I read a story about a, a young lady who was a, um, I think she was a model. She was so beautiful that she was, that was her occupation. And she died on the operating theatre. Uh, she was having plastic surgery um, done. And someone lamented about that, saying, why? She was so beautiful anyway. Why did she think that she needed to somehow increase her beauty? That's the issue, isn't it? Whereas uh, I, I know Christians whose um, bodies just don't work properly and for whom medical science can offer very little, can only manage the problem, if even that. And yet far from being angry with God or in despair over that situation, they're often the ones who see resurrection more clearly and look forward um, to resurrection. I notice Peter's not here with us today. He's often there in his uh, uh, automotive wheelchair and he can't really move his muscles. But uh, I know from sitting at the front when I speak about the resurrection body, Peter looks like he's about to jump up <laughs> out of that uh, wheelchair. Uh, one of my uncles became a Christian in his 70s and uh, I, I met up with him just a, a little while ago. Uh, last year, he had his leg amputated. I think that's pretty tough, don't you? He's nearly 80 um, to lose your leg and the doctors are saying that he's probably going to lose the other one as well. And he was uh, hobbling around on a prosthetic leg I can't imagine the pain that's involved in training yourself to do that. We were sitting down having a, having a drink together and he points to his prosthetic leg, i.e. there's a leg that's, that's not there that should be there, and he says, this is a good thing. I go, huh? <laughs> and uh, he says, because I spent eight months in hospital and there's a lot of people in hospital that are suffering and are fearful of dying. And he said, and I've been able to talk to them about the Lord Jesus Christ and pray with them. And, uh, and then he says, and anyway, God's going to give me a new leg one day. <laughs> this is a distinctly Christian uh, view. Uh, this is the Christian hope that we have that transforms not only our future bodily reality, but transforms our hearts and our minds and our aspirations in the here and the now as we look forward to heaven. That future which Paul uh, reveals in verses 51 to 57, where he says, look, uh, listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, 
when the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. Then the saying that is written will come true. And here's the saying, folks. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the loud, piercing sound of the trumpet has long been used in battles. Um, The Old Testament prophets, um, Isaiah and also Zechariah, spoke about the trumpet which would be blown in order to announce the moment of God's judgment. When Jesus returns at the last trumpet, God's power is so great that we will be resurrected. We will have new bodies in a flash. Actually, the Greek word that's translated there as flash is actually the word atom. That's the actual word. Just this very small thing, this small moment in time when the resurrected Jesus returns. And notice in verse 51 that it's not just those who are dead who will be receiving new bodies because Paul says we will not all sleep. And that's the the Christian way of describing death, isn't it? that we're just sleeping because it's not the end. Uh, no, at that moment, um, the, uh, uh, we will all receive new bodies because resurrection is not just about the, the reanimation of corpses. Um, it's about transformation. A transformation for everyone who trusts in Christ. Transformation of our present earthly bodies into the likeness of Christ's heavenly body. But it needed to be said to the Corinthians that the, 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 our spiritual, the, the consummation of our spiritual reality doesn't happen now. Uh, it's something for the future. The error amongst some of the Corinthian Christians was that they thought that they had already achieved their spiritual state. Um, So that um, uh, in death, death is just the shedding of the body, uh, and it's not needed anymore, because what's important is your your spirit, and they've already got that sorted out now. That's what they thought. They thought they'd achieved their heavenly state in their spirit, and that the body didn't matter. Now, in our day, we see a similar version of that false teaching, but in a different form. Um, God often heals us of our sicknesses. Every time we are healed of a sickness, that is God at work. And that's why we pray for God to heal us of our sicknesses. But there are some church leaders who teach that God does not want you to live with any problems in your bodies in the here and the now. Um, That if you have enough faith that you will always be healed of that cancer or of that heart disease 
or that your leg will just grow back. And it's like having your heavenly body now. <laughs> you don't have to wait for it. And in so doing, of course, they rob us of our capacity to deal with suffering in the present. For our hope, our certain hope is not in this frail body, but rather in the resurrection body. That's what we look forward to, that resurrection body, uh, where uh, in Revelation chapter 21, there will be no more tears, there will be no more mourning, there will be no more sickness, no more suffering, no more death, because the old order of things has been swept away and we've been transformed into the likeness of Christ's resurrected body. So how do you feel about your body? I don't mind having a little bit of grey hair, actually. I read in a proverb somewhere that um, it's the crown of splendour for the old. And I'm getting there. But what about the real problems of cancer, arthritis, chronic fatigue syndrome, eyes and ears that don't work properly, um, muscles that are not connected to the brain, Brain can't control your muscles. Friends, the, the frailty and the mortality of our bodies stand as a constant symbol that we live in a fallen world under God's curse. But Jesus has paid the debt for our sins. And so as Paul reflects on our resurrection bodies, uh, he just simply can't restrain himself. You know, there were people in Corinth who actually mocked the idea of resurrection. There were Sadducees in Jesus' day who mocked the idea of resurrection. But Paul here mocks the idea of death. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? Now, sometimes um, when someone dies, people say, well, um, at least... She's not suffering anymore. At least he's out of his pain. And we can understand that. But is it true? Because there is the matter of judgment. For you see, death has a sting. What is the sting of death? What is it that you people seem to be blinded to and they're lulled into this false sense of security and then there's a sting. Well, it would be to die and in, in horror to discover that death is not the end and to discover that there is judgment and that you have sins that are unforgiven. The sting of death is sin meaning the sting of death is unforgiven sin. But on the cross, Jesus has paid for sin so that for those who trust in Christ, death has lost its sting. There is no sting to it. Death cannot hurt us. Nothing in all of creation can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, not even life or death, says Paul in Romans chapter 8. When 
we will be raised imperishable. And when we are raised imperishable on that day, one thing will be clear, and that is that the victory of Christ and the defeat of death will be shown for all of creation. Thanks be to God, says Paul. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, how can we be sure of this? How can we know that this is our future? Well, remember, this is the second part of 1 Corinthians 15 because in the first part of 1 Corinthians 15, Paul showed us that this is our future. We can know that this is certain. We can know that death has been defeated because God raised Christ Jesus from the dead. And there were hundreds of people saw him. And Christ is the first fruits, guaranteeing that there is an abundance in, abundant harvest that is to come in us. I once spoke with a dear Christian lady who had just been told that her cancer had been upgraded to terminal. That's not the news you want to hear uh, when you go to your doctor. That was awful news. News that she had to process and I can't imagine just how hard that was. But in the end, she said to me, Scott, I'm certainly not praying that I'll die. <laughs> I don't want to die. But I'm not frightened of it either. Because I know what my future involves. I know that God will deal with this cancer. I know that I will have a resurrected body because I know that Christ Jesus died and rose again. She says she knew the future that she has for all of those who trust in Jesus. A future which does not involve cancer or heart disease or hearing aids or spectacles or wheelchairs. And folks... No moon boots either. <laughs> no moon boots either. It's a future uh, which leads Paul in verse 58 to conclude, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Don't let anyone rob you of this hope that you have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Don't shift away from this hope. Don't be succumbed by the the lies of the world because Christ has died Christ has risen and Christ will come again and therefore far from being pitied more than all men as we would be if that was not true uh, we can actually be confident and give ourselves more fully to the work of the Lord to serving God in our frail bodies now because we know that the resurrection guarantees that our labour in the Lord it's not in vain. It's not in vain, folks. So let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for uh, your great plan and purpose in resurrection. We thank you for Jesus that he's indeed been raised from the dead. Nothing can change that. It's a fact of history. Father, we thank you that because of that, the death has been defeated and that all of us who are in Christ 
uh, can look forward to that resurrection body and that eternal future with you, with you transformed in the likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Father, it's our prayer that more and more people would come to hear this gospel and would um, be drawn to put their faith in the Lord Jesus, that they would share that future with us. Help us to stand firm, we pray, to not to shift, um, that we might be fruitful in our labour for you. In Jesus' name, Amen.